going to be the assassin of doubt. And the question that we're going to pose, there's actually the picture right there. The question that we're going to pose tonight is this. Craig, I still have doubts. Can I be a Christian? I still have doubts. Can I be a Christian? This premature graphic that you guys have seen is I wanted to find something that kind of explained in my mind what I thought the assassin of doubt would look like. And this was it. That's terrifying, isn't it? That's like Teletubby scary. Like, get those things away from me. They freak me out. Like, because you look at this little guy, and what's your initial reaction, ladies? Oh, he's so cute, right? You want to pick him up, and you want to pat his little ninja head. You want to tickle his little ninja tummy. Because he's so cute, you just want to hold him, and you want to cuddle with him. But don't be fooled. Do not be fooled. Although this ninja, this assassin... Is like a nice young puppy. This assassin will take you out. Because you'll be holding it and you'll be, you'll be stroking its head and tickling its belly. And before long, this assassin will grab you and it will just start beating you in the face. And you'll be like, what is happening? Why is this, why is this assassin doing this? And then before long, he'll take out his little mini assassin knife and he'll start stabbing you. And you'll cry out. You're like, God, make it stop. There's blood going everywhere. It's gory, I know. But that's what happens. This assassin, you think about it, because you think of assassin of pain and suffering, it makes you angry, doesn't it? God, why in the world could you allow this kind of injustice to happen in the world? We talked about the Holocaust, the genocide in Rwanda. It makes us mad. And then we hear about people going to hell. It makes us mad, doesn't it? And then we talk about the topic of doubt. And you're like, eh. I mean, that's not good, Craig, but just doubt. I mean, no one's going to hell over this. And so we don't take it very seriously. And in doing so, it becomes one of the most deadly assassins that we will talk about. This assassin right here, although cute and cuddly looking, almost took me out. You guys have heard my story. I went to a Christian college my freshman and sophomore year. Man, just to make an extremely long story short, super complacent, didn't care. I would look around at these people because we'd, be, we'd be forced to go to chapels, the people that would preach and lead worship. And I'd think, you know, the lives that these people live, they're not even backing up what they're doing on stage. And then I would see that they supposedly had a, a supernatural encounter with God, but they were never changed. So I began to doubt myself. I'm like, God, are you even real? Is this a joke? And before long, when I let those doubts begin to fester inside of me, it was like a virus that began to spread. I became cynical. I became angry. I became just completely disillusioned with the church. I was done. And I almost lost everything. And that is why tonight I beg you, I plead with you. Tonight, do not let this assassin go under the radar. Do not let him creep into the shadows of your heart. Because if you do that before long, the foundation of your faith will begin to crack and crumble. So tonight I'm going to ask you guys a question. Honest question. How many of you have doubts about your faith in God? Okay. Thank you very much. You can put your hands down. That was kind of an awkward question, wasn't it? You're like, oh, did he just say that? 
And a couple of you, I, you know, I really appreciate your honesty. A couple of you had boldness, and you put your hands up in the air. And then immediately you realize, oh my gosh, I'm the only one with my hand in the air. <laughs> and there was a couple of you, this was an interesting thing. I had no idea how you were going to react. A couple of you kind of, you know, you saw a couple people raise your hands up. Mm. You know, it's not an altar call. You're kind of like hiding it real fast, hoping the person next to you didn't see. Why do we do that? Do you really think that there's only four people in this room that have doubts about their faith? That there's been time in their lives where they've really doubted God? But there's only four people that raise their hand. Why is that? Because we're kind of ashamed sometimes, aren't we? It's kind of embarrassing. We don't want anyone to know this, this dirty little secret that's inside. And the truth is this. This is what I believe. That in today's culture, the reason that Christians don't admit that they sometimes have doubt or uncertainty about God is they feel that when they do that, they become disqualified from being a Christian. The second that you step up and you raise your hand and you say, Craig, I don't know. I don't have it all figured out. I still got some questions. You know, some of the stuff you talk about on Wednesday night, I don't know if I'm by that yet. That immediately disqualifies you no longer. You are a Christian. I take back your card. I put it through the shredder. You're out. Everyone's like, is that really a Christian card? Where do I get that? <laughs> no Christian card. But I will sell you one. <laughs> At a good deal. I promise. But it's weird though. We have this idea of what our faith looks like. And I'm going to tell you why I believe that we've done this. Because in society, we have this idea of what our faith looks like. And in my opinion, big thanks to Mariah Ferguson, it looks a lot like this. It's beautiful, I know. It's beautiful, isn't it? This is our well-packaged faith. It's perfectly wrapped. I mean, you can get this thing up. You, you realize that it's made of an extremely high-quality paper. Even the edges are creased to perfections. The tape is so low profile, low profile that this gift looks like it's being held together by magic. It's perfect. It's got no issues. It's got no imperfections. It's aesthetically pleasing. But you know what the problem with this is? It's fake. It's a lie. It is, isn't it? We put up this facade, this front. Craig, I don't have any questions. I've got it all figured out. All these deep theological truths, these philosophical topics. I've got it figured out. My faith is perfect. And it's just a front. It's not true. I think if many of us, the, th the two to four of us that were honest enough to raise our hands tonight, if we really looked at ourselves in the mirror honestly, we'd find out that our face, faith looks a little bit more like this. That's a little better. That's a little bit more accurate. I don't know about you guys, but this represents throughout my life, my faith. It's a little torn. It's a little imperfect. It's got some holes in it. It has some inconsistencies. And this is me. This is your pastor standing in front of you, being honest and transparent, saying, this is me. 
man, I've almost lost everything. I've almost walked away from my faith. This is me. This has been my life. This is doubt. This is uncertainty. This is questions. And tonight, the ultimate goal of this message is this. We need to ask the question, can we still have doubts? Can we still have questions and uncertainty and be Christians? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Tonight, if, if our goal, if we really want to shed some light and shed some truth onto the topic of doubt and questions, we first need to debunk misconceptions that we have about faith. We really need to do that. Because much like hell, where there was a lot of misconceptions floating around, we have several in the realm of faith. The first misconception that I want to talk about tonight in regards to faith is this. For many of you, your faith is mostly about your feelings. Yeah, it's true. Your faith is mostly about your feelings. Now, if I was to create a survey and send it out to all of you, I bet 99% of the survey results came back to me. If I had a question, our faith about, mostly about feelings, yes or no, all of you guys would say no. You'd say, Craig, bro, dude, it's not about feelings. It's about a relationship. No, bro, it's not about feelings for me. It's about sacrificing and being a disciple, bro. And that's what we say. We, you know, we wear the Christian t-shirt that says it. But does, do our lives that we live really back that up? See, the problem for some of us is that we live our lives from one spiritual high to the next. We do. And there's nothing wrong. I do, want, I do not for one second want to downplay a supernatural experience that we've had with God. But most of us, hopefully almost all of us in this room, have had at least one. One of those life encounters with God that you walked away forever changed. You knew, I am never going to be the same after this. For some of you, it probably happened at youth camp. You're there and you're in the altars praying for hours and God just touched you. God revealed his face and you were changed. For some of us, it happened in Iceland. We were in a closet praying, pursuing God. And we still talk about that to this day. It's incredible. Maybe for some of you, God willing, it happened right here in this room. Maybe it was an altar call that I gave or Nate or Dave. And you made a decision to hand your life over to God. And you knew you were never going to be the same. But the problem is, you're waiting for that next spiritual high, aren't you? That, Craig, I want that, that goosebump feeling. You know, the feeling that you're like, that was good. I want that high again. I want to experience God like never before. And so you're just waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. For some of you, it happens. And for some of you, it doesn't happen for a long time. And the problem with living from one spiritual high to the next is that we go through valleys. And when we're in that valley, we begin to question God. We begin to say, God, why have you forsaken me? Lord God, why don't you give me those goosebumps back? Was that, was that experience even real? We can't base our faith strictly upon feelings. The second misconception I want, you to, talk, I want to talk about tonight, and I want everyone to get this, this is a big one, is that many of you guys feel that, let me just say it this way, you feel it's impossible to have faith and doubt. You think if you were to define faith, you would write down 
faith is the absence of doubt. Let me say that again. Faith is the absence of doubt. Meaning this, that if you have any questions about God, if you have any uncertainties, any withdrawals, you don't have faith. And you know what, guys? That's not true. That is not true at all. Doubt and faith can coexist together. They are not mutually exclusive. Some would even say this. Some would even say that doubt is the essence of faith. What? That doubt is the foundation. Uncertainty is the foundation of faith. Does that mess with any of you guys? That messes with me too. And you're like, this is kind of weird. So let me help, let me help explain this. I need um, a volunteer. Ah, uh, perfect. Thank you for volunteering, Christina. So, in order to teach us that faith and doubt can coexist together, I have enabled the help of a trusty bottle. Sorry, I'm going to let it loose. I don't want it to explode on you. Of mysterious green fluid. Okay? So, Christina's going to help me out tonight. Christina, let me ask you a question. And speak loud so we can all hear. If you were to wake up one morning walk into your front yard, and you saw this bottle of mysterious pseudo-viscous green fluid sitting in your front yard, would you drink this? That's why I asked a girl. I know what you guys would say. You guys are disgusting. I know you would, Johnny. Be quiet. No, you would not drink this. And all most of us say, yeah, drink it. No, you wouldn't. You really wouldn't. Because I don't know if a bum has spit in this. What in the world is this green fluid doing sitting in my front yard? All right, now everyone bear with me. Christine, let me ask you this. What if I told you that I know exactly what is in this jug? The contents inside of this jug will not harm you. There is nothing hazardous, nothing poisonous. And quite contrary, there is actually something in here that you're going to enjoy tasting. After saying that, would you be willing to take a drink of this? Yes. Yes, you would. Do you guys realize what I just did? I proved that doubt and faith can coexist with each other. Christina, do you know beyond a shadow of doubt what's in this? You have no idea. I could be lying to you. There could be poison in here. You could die in a matter of moments when you drink this. You don't know that. You're uncertain. You have doubts. But at the same time, she has faith in me that I won't let that happen. Wow. Okay, I won't make you drink this, I promise. (laughs) But let's just rewind for a second. Let's, Let's pretend that, once again, you still have no idea what's in this bottle. And so I ask you, Christina, I know what's in this bottle. Will you take a drink? And you say this. You say, Craig, let me, let me do this. Let me take a sample of this liquid, send it off to a laboratory, get the chemical compounds examined, get the results back, and then I'll take a sip. So you do that whole elaborate process, and you come to find out that it's just mellow yellow with a touch of food coloring. <laughs> At that point, does it require her to have faith to drink this? No. Because she knows exactly what it is. She doesn't have to have faith. 
Do you know what faith is? It's believing in something without all the answers. And the second that we have all the answers, it's no longer faith, but it's knowledge. Do you guys get that? You can't have faith in something if you know what it is, 100%. So by doing this silly experiment, we've proved that none of us can have absolute knowledge of God. Doubt is required for us to have faith. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? It says in the book of Hebrews that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Did you guys get that? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, that was so liberating for me. As the band starts making their way up to play, that was so liberating. Number one, I was like you guys who didn't raise your hands. I was the other 90%. I was the one that was so worried that if I raised my hand, what people might think of who I am. And then I began to realize that, oh my goodness, I'm not the only one that has questions. I'm not the only one who has doubts. And you know what was even further liberating for me? Is that I found out there's actually examples in the scripture that talk about people who struggled with the issue of faith and doubt. Did you know that? One man specifically experienced this struggle firsthand. He experienced this assassin face to face. And for those of you guys who have your Bibles tonight, we are going to look very quickly at the book of Mark, chapter 9. And before we read this, I want to give you a little pretext. This is about a man who, he has a son who's demon-possessed right? And this man, he's heard about this Jesus, and he's heard about his disciples, and he's heard about all these miraculous things that have happened. He's heard that the blind have been seeing, the deaf have been hearing, the lame have been walking, even the demon-possessed have been healed. So he decides to take his son to go see Jesus and his disciple. But there's something about this story that sets it apart is that this man, when he brings his son to Jesus' disciples, they pray for him, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. So this guy has the opportunity to take his son directly to Jesus, and that's where our story is going to pick up. In Mark 9, chapter 20, it says, So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming, at the mouth. Verse 21 says, How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, Since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Help us if you can. What? If you can? Does this guy not know who he's talking to? He's talking to this guy who's been healing people. He's talking to this guy who's been making dead people come back to life again, doing freaky weird stuff. And he's got doubt that he can't heal his son. But then I began to really look and study the story a little harder. And for me, I've had the opportunity. I have my own son now. You guys probably see him stealing pool balls and eating things. And I can now be a little bit more empathetic, empathetic as a father. Man, I can only imagine the heartbreak 
that this guy went through. It says that his young son was demon-possessed at a young age. So this father had to stand back and look at his son in pain and torment his entire life. And finally, he gets an opportunity. He hears about Jesus. So in his mind, he's thinking, this is my one chance to set my son free. So I don't know how long he had to travel. I don't know how much money he had to spend. I don't know how much he had to sacrifice to get there. But he made it a priority that him and his son were going to meet with Jesus and his disciples. And I can only imagine the emotion that were going through him and him and his son were walking up to, to the disciples. They were optimistic. They were encouraged. He was anxious because now he was going to get his son back. He had the opportunity after he was he, his son was healed to look into his son's eyes, possibly for the first time, and see a son who was free, not in bondage. So he brings a boy to the, the, the disciples, and they begin to lay hands on him and pray, and nothing's happening. So they're praying some more. They're probably getting more passionate at this time. And at once, this emotion that was optimistic and hopeful is now slowly starting to digress into worry, doubt, frustration. And I don't know how long the disciples prayed, but I know that when it was all said and done, this father must have been heartbroken to think, my son, he's doomed to live like this forever. But then realizes that he has a chance to go see Jesus. So at this point, he's probably so discouraged, but he's thinking, what What the heck, I'll give it a shot. So he walks over to Jesus, and now we can understand why he's a little hesitant, can't we? We can understand why he has had doubts, because all of this hope has already been crushed once. And how many of you guys know that happens? When we've been hurt once, we almost don't want to let ourselves be vulnerable again to have those hopes crushed once more. But he does. He opens up his heart and he asks Jesus, would you please pray and heal my son if you can? And this is how Jesus responds to him. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, and this is what I want each and every one of you to get. This might revolutionize your faith. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Some translations even say, God, I believe. Help me up. Help my unbelief. Help my doubt. He was a moment where he was completely vulnerable. In essence, this is what he's telling Jesus. God, I don't know if you can heal this kid or not, but I love this kid with all my heart, so please just give it a shot. Because of his honesty that Jesus healed his son and he was forever changed, forever released from that demon. Tonight, here's my question for you guys. It's where do you fit in? You know, maybe there's some of you guys in this room tonight that you say, Craig, man, I'll be honest, my faith is rock solid. Maybe I had some questions, but I got I got that worked out and I'm I can honestly say that I don't have doubt. And I celebrate you. I thank you for that. That's awesome. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, Craig, man, I just started coming on a couple Wednesdays. I've been coming for a couple months. And, you know, I really, 
I really am open to this thing about God and Jesus. But some of the stories that you tell, talking about demon possession, I just don't, I don't know about all that. You see, I got some doubts. I've got some hesitations. I've got some uncertainty. And maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you've been in the church your entire life. And recently, you just had some things stirring in your heart. And you say, Craig, I'm just starting to question my faith. I just don't even know if it's real, if God, he just seems distant. And I just don't know what to do. I want us to all bow our heads tonight. Faith is a decision. During this series, we talked a lot about free will. That God could have easily made us into robots and forced us to do whatever he wanted. But no, he gave us the choice. And that's what faith is. It's choosing to believe in God even when you don't have all the answers. God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know everything. I haven't got all these questions figured out. But God, what I do know is that I love you and I want to give my life to you. I love you and I want to pursue you. And that's the one thing.